satellites gone up to the skies Things like that drive me out of my mind I watched it for a little while I like to watch things on TV Episode 14 of Free Speak and Some with yours sincerely, E.W. Conundrum. This week's episode features Almighty Todd, a monthly segment we have here exclusively. And we'll be talking to Todd about the situation in central Vermont, given the weather that they've experienced over the last month or so, among other things. I'm sure, related issues. 
to uh, what they are dealing with because of Mother Nature. And uh, we also have a poem entitled Shadows to Share by Boshulav Reynik, an essay called Branches Turn to Red and Green and Yellow. We have Dr. Dinayente chiming in on fashion and uh, a lot of great, great music and a few surprises, as is the case just about every episode of Free Speak. It's such a pleasure to be with you here on 105.7 and 90.3 WFTE, FM Radio, Community Radio. All right, well, let's get into things. Here is an essay. Branches turn red and green and yellow. An essay here for you in Free Speak. Branches of my world, your world, too, I can only suppose, if you live here in the great northeast, are turning soon into a veritable banquet of color, a feast beyond visual belief, not to mention the organic olfactory titillation that comes with it. Red and green and yellow, my good fellow, even though riverbanks have extended without asking permission into neighborhoods redistributing infrastructure and homes to the fancy of its desired design. But don't misunderstand me, for I surely will not malign Earth's natural ways. Actually, we influence from where it gathers its energy to how it presents its display of power and creation, its synergy through deconstructionism, unlike what Derrida meant in his philosophy, or how the cubists flew through their paintings and drawings in the face of our artistic aristocracy, all to become one and the same in the ongoing game of human existence. Maybe it is about how we strive, the procreant urge, urge, urge of the world that Walt Whitman seemed to purge from himself for a moment while in his leaves of grass. Alas, all this thinking, tinkering, as well as slothful meandering, as without a moment of fanfare or hesitance, once again its cyclical presence, autumn, autumn is rolling up its energies through the beautifully colored leaves, red and green and yellow, and the sunlight angles itself more steeply for a while. Let me know you're here All of these lines 
segment entitled Almighty Todd on Free Speak and Some with yours truly E.W. Conundrum. We're sitting in my backyard. Todd, how are you? Doing very well today. Yeah? It's a lovely day. Oh, there's a cardinal. 
Yeah, there are a lot of cardinals back here. We had a we had a pair up until this spring, and then they 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 disappeared at our place. We've been watching for them. All the re- all the rest of the summer people are back, and the cardinals are usually there year round. So I don't know what happened. Up in Vermont? Yeah, they must have found a better gig. Maybe. Well, you don't think something happened to them? Do you? Well, there's always that potential too. My wife worries about that. She's like, "Where are the cardinals? Something must have happened to one of them," which is entirely possible. Yeah, hopefully not. Hopefully that's not what occurred. You know, since we don't we don't have television at the house because we just don't really have time for it, or there's not a whole lot on that's worth spending time with. So instead of a cable bill, we have a bird seed bill. It's probably cheaper. I don't know. Yeah. Black oil sunflower seeds been climbing in price. I don't know. It, yeah, I don't know if it's because of uh, petroleum costs or or what. Let's blame it on the petroleum industry. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we go through a fifty-pound bag a month easily. How many birds do you think that uh, sustains? Quite a few. Quite a few. Yeah. The baby woodpeckers have been. Uh, they're kind of funny because they're, they're, they go in and peck the bird feeder, and they catch a seed every once in a while. But as they're pecking, all the seeds are spilling out onto the ground. But that's okay. That takes because the like the cardinals and some of the other birds are ground feeders, so they don't like to stand on the up on the feeder. Nothing gets wasted, I'm sure. No. Oh, geez, no. There's nothing left. And then there's the chipmunks and the squirrels who uh, who clean up the clean up the rest. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we feed quite a, quite a healthy little population around the house. For how much a month? Uh, it's like 30 bucks a month. So, it's not, it's not terrible. No. And actually, it, it really is interesting in the sense that, you know, we've gotten to know a lot of the, the animals that come back on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we watch the, the Phoebes have their nest they're on their second nest and fledge their young and the woodpecker family comes through and the the baby chickadees showed up and they're you know they're tiny little gray fluff balls and um you kind of see them as the year goes by and then they you know they move on and at the end of the year the gross beaks take off and they disappear and the other more arboreal ones more chickadees show up the tit mice the nuthatches that seem to go more into the woods during the summertime, mm-hmm. they show up in the fall and they hang out all winter at the feeders. So you kind of watch the cycle of the year go by. What colors are we talking about? All these birds? Yeah. Oh, all kinds. We had Baltimore Orioles this year. The rose-breasted grosbeaks have a big red patch on their chest. There are cedar waxwings, evening grosbeaks. We get an indigo bunting family, which is really cool because he's like an iridescent blue He's really pretty when he shows up. And uh, right around Mother's Day is when he appears. Really? Mother's Day? Yeah, right around that time in May. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, for us, that's that's good entertainment. Between that and, you know, the deer that come through and a moose once in a while and the fox. And uh, I suppose that beats uh, Fox News. Yeah. News of the Fox definitely beats Fox News <laughs> any day in, in our house. Um, what do you think of that whole Rupert Murdoch thing? Oh, boy. You know, I'm not surprised at all. Um, the hacking and the bribing. Yeah, no, I mean, 
that was information is a commodity like anything else these days, and it's actually an easy one to to pass around. And so, I think it's all too tempting to do that kind of stuff. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of competition too. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I think it, it's funny listening to uh, the BBC on the way down and their discussion of the all too cozy relationship between the media, the police and politicians and uh, politicians basically allowing things to transpire because they don't want to risk the negative right. press. Right. And that's like the the other end of the spectrum from a government that's clamps the press down so much that it's not effective. In, in an investigative journalistic yeah. uh, So you've got, you know, one end of the spectrum is the you know, the media do really doesn't exist, or it's just an arm of the, the state propaganda machine. Or the corporate propaganda Or you got the other end of the thing where it's the corporate pro propaganda machine that's pushing things, and there's enough power and economic motion through that mechanism that now government doesn't want to mess with it for fear that uh, it'll screw things up or they'll, they'll be portrayed in a bad light. And so it's just it's another kind of imbalance between the governmental machine and the the media, which is supposed to keep an eye on that for us. Right. I don't want the media shaping that stuff for us. Because it's just another large industry, entity, organization that has more power to affect change than average people do. Right. And the kind of uh, change that it affects, or the way in which it affects change, is not necessarily... Uh, to the benefit of the everyday. Oh no, it's not. It's, well, that is it's not to the benefit of society. That's not the mission statement of these these companies. No. And you know, there's certain groups that talk about you know, like in Vermont, we have the Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a, a loose organization, but it's uh, it's a well-developed. It's one a lot of people get involved in because that's how they can get their health insurance by being part of this really? group of, of companies. How socially responsible all of the members are, I don't know. But it's an interesting idea, nonetheless, that corporations do have social responsibility. That they have a responsibility to the, the society that they live in beyond the responsibility that they have to the shareholders. Right. That is a nice notion. It's a nice notion. I don't know what I don't know what we, what we can do to, to affect that, but the, the point is is that you know any one of anyone any corporation that we talk about that has shareholders, yes, that's who their main. Uh, that's what I'm looking for. That's who they're responsible to. Right. It's like the good old bottom line. Yeah. The thing is, though, without the consumer base. Without the society, that corporation doesn't exist. Right. And so there has to be some kind of a, you know, producer-consumer uh, balanced relationship there for it to be sustainable and to move forward for the for the good of everybody concerned. Yeah, and more uh, otherwise, utilitarian. Otherwise, it's a company that's just trying to make the buck is just as extractive on society as strip mining is on materials right in the ground right 
because there's no, there's no responsibility to clean up any damage that's been done. There's no uh, impetus to take the, the product of those resources and make the society better for the people around that. Oh, sure, you might get a department store, you might get a new fire department, a couple of jobs. A couple of jobs, but at the same time, maybe your water's polluted now. Right, you're decimating the natural landscape. uh, So, in that respect, even though we have regulation and controls and things like that these days, you know, regulations only ever step behind the the problem problem that they're trying to control. Right. I mean, Regulation almost always is a it's reactive. Is reactive, yeah. reactive at best, respo- you know, responsive at best, reactive most of the time. Right, right. And reactive isn't always effective. No, because things have been been affected already. The damage has been done. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's damage control. Yeah. And oftentimes just PR mm-hmm. uh, to say, well, we're not that bad. Look, we do care. Mm-hmm. We, we're sorry. Look, we're a green company. Yeah, because we, we took care of the terrible spill that we caused. Yeah. And we're saying we're sorry. <laughs> or, or... And we'll do it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Free Speak Anthem with E.W. Conundrum here uh, talking with Todd, Almighty Todd, about birds, about... I don't know. Well, we were going to talk about plans downtime. Yeah, but we started to go off on our uh, a little. Well, this is free speak. It is free speak. You're right. <laughs> well, what do you want to say about planned downtime? Well, I think it goes back to that uh, discussion we were having earlier today about uh, you know technology becoming so ubiquitous now. You know, it's great. It's it's great stuff. People have cell phones. They have smartphones. Ways to stay in touch with one another all the time. Way to check up on things that are important to them. Um, but you know, my own self talking about. It. I'm on va- quote unquote vacation this week. Although I've got a number of things on my itinerary that I'm I'm doing, um, and I'm going to be fairly busy. I know that there are going to be periods during this time when my phone's not going to be on, and I'm not going to be checking email. I'll get to the messages tomorrow. That's a choice because it's become all too convenient and easy to have those things on at all times and think that, oh, well, I just, I'll just i take a couple minutes to check my email, which is cool and everything, but at the same time, it really you know, begs the question, what is it to be on vacation? What is it to unhitch from a lot of the stuff that we're doing that we need a break from? And... And what's a real break? Right. What's the point of downtime? Yeah. Is it to rejuvenate, to get a sense of where you are as an individual, and get in touch with who you are as an individual? Yeah, and that often takes a couple of days sometimes. I mean, if you've ever been on a really good vacation and been unplugged, it seems like it takes about the fourth day before you're... You're comfortable with being on Yeah. You're like, oh, okay, this is good. Wow, this place is beautiful. Hey, Hey, what's up, Kia? Hey, Kia. Hi. How are you? How are you? Where are you coming from? Tennis. Tennis. How did tennis go? Good. Yeah? I'm doing the tournament, the 13th. Awesome. Nice. Tennis tournament. We're taping an interview here for the radio show. Cool. Want to say hi? Hi. So what are you doing for the rest of the day? You have any planned downtime? 
No? Yeah. Uh, well, the, this is summer for you. Twelve-year-old. It, it's all about planned. It doesn't be planned. It is downtime. It is downtime. Yeah. Yeah. Where's your brother? Inside. Yeah? He has summer's ear. He's got a fever. Oh, jeez. He's not feeling good? No. He's not contagious. No, swimmer's ear is not contagious. Oh, swimmer's ear, I think he said a fever. Well, yeah. fever. Oh, he's got a... Because of his ear infection, yeah. yeah. So what's he doing? My home? brother used to deal with that a lot. Did he? When he was, when he was scuba diving pretty frequently, he had to put drops in. Yeah, he has drops, too. He has to put them in at night. So we're talking about uh, just being able to hang out, you know, not be preoccupied with cell phones and other electronic distractions, TV, what have you. Like being able to go to the beach and not have to take that stuff with you and just enjoy being there with your friends and stuff like that as opposed to, oh, you know, your, your friends are talking about I'm there texting away or I'm making phone calls and, you know, missing out on the what's actually really going on. Or just hanging out in the backyard and listening yeah. to the birds. Yeah. And not thinking, well, I better... I better surf the net or I better see what all my friends are saying on Facebook. Or I guess, you know, the other side is that there's planned downtime and then there's unplanned downtime. Where Which is sometimes the nicest. Yeah, it's the nicest one where you maybe you're, you're, you're sitting somewhere, you're waiting to be picked up or you're waiting for the bus to come or whatever. And I can see how people nowadays, they're at the bus stop or whatever, you can see them getting fidgety and they pull out the phone to, right, right. to kind of look and, you know, check the emails or there's no new emails and then they'll maybe surf a little bit. And they and feel unfulfilled because they can't grab at anything. Yeah, or, or just don't feel like, oh, okay, it's okay to just put that away and sit down. And look at who's and walking And look at by. the people walking around, what's going on. Because I think what happens is we, we, we start to not notice as much. Right. And that's, I mean, that's why texting and driving is not a good idea because <laughs> you're, not you're not noticing some really important stuff. So that's in a real important situation. But you think about in the everyday... There's all kinds of interesting stuff going on around us all the time. All the time. We just have to be open to it. You know, and that's when you'll, you know, see the interesting little tableau with the, you know, old lady pushing her her chihuahua in a baby carriage or, you know, something like that. Wearing a tutu. Yeah, it's just... The old lady and the chihuahua, maybe. And you just, to be able to take that in and see their relationship for a few minutes... I, I find that kind of stuff gratifying. I've always liked watching people. That I find it informative. It is, and people are people are pretty interesting. You know, the things that they do, the things that they say, and mm-hmm. and just movement of people. Mm-hmm. When you are in an, you know in a highly uh, populated, densely populated area, it's it's interesting to watch the interactions. Mm-hmm. Daddy. Yeah. Is that a pigeon? A pigeon. Or a crow. Oh, jeez, I don't even see it. Right there, behind the basketball. Like it looks like a pigeon. Uh, it's actually, it's a morning dove. A morning dove, better yet. They're yeah. related, I think. Aren't they pigeons and doves? Yeah. The other ones go... Oh. The birds sound nice today. Yeah. They were just one on top of the TV. There's that one on top of the TV. So oh, is, is that a new one, Daddy? Yeah, it's a new one. So is... Uh, Society, like today, we're we're at a department store looking for something, and we saw the guy with the phone in his ear, playing with the computer game, 
not noticing anything around him. Yeah, he looks like, and I said, people are just starting to look more and more like cyborgs. Uh, are we on a good path, would you say, uh, in, in regard to being preoccupied with electronic-induced divertment? Uh, I think it's definitely a dangerous path um, because, like, electronica has a very addictive quality and uh, like other things that are addictive you're already deep into it often before you know the you, problem or you know often other people will point it out to you but it's hard to recognize what they're saying um, but yeah with, with that guy in particular it was just you know he was a, about our age yeah you know, he was around 40 around 40 adult guy obviously maybe he was waiting for a phone call and he was just killing some time but going at it playing whatever that uh, first-person shooter game is in the middle of Best Buy. And, you know, he was just he was there doing his thing, which is cool, but I just... You know, maybe it's because I don't do the video game thing all that much, but I can't imagine just going to kill some time in a department store playing their video game. No, no. Only because I've got I, I so much other stuff I'd rather do in my time. And that even if it was planning some downtime, yeah, to go and you know sit next to a stream or sit out in the backyard here with you. Well, why, why is it a negative? Would you say that choosing that as a means of passing time, spending time, than just sitting in a tree like Kiata is right now? Well, I'd say number one because it's a it's such an artificial experience. It's a completely man-made experience, which. It's interesting in its technological capacity that we can do these things, but I kind of feel like any of these worlds that are creations of uh, the human mind are limited. They have none of the complexity, or only a fraction of the complexity of the real world. Right. And they, on some level, train us to have expectations about the world and that are not necessarily in line with reality. Uh, Andrew and I have been having this, this, this ongoing discussion uh, for the last several weeks when it comes up again. It goes back to... Uh, it was even before the movie that we went to see. Oh yeah, anybody that's listening, if you get a chance to see the, the Cave of Forgotten Dreams about the Chauvet Cave in France that's like Lascaux, this is an amazing movie. You see it in, two, in 3D if you can or 2D if that's what's around. But if you want to see what the capacity of the human mind and spirit was 32,000 years ago, this is a really good, this is a really good experience. Anyways, where we were going was is that you know we live in this world where there's a lot of complexity, especially with the, the electronica interface with our human world. And yes, it's complicated stuff, but it's really very abstract complications that again are a product of our of our human mind and yes we have the capacity to understand these complications to a certain degree or at least work through them but they're these kind of limited abstract complications that are a product of of our human creativity and development whereas I think that the human mind was really built and evolved to understand the, the vast complexities of nature and the natural world. 
and we're disconnecting from and, and understanding interconnections cause and effect systems thinking web the, the web of life you know you see that squirrel over there with that well, I don't know what the heck he's got in his mouth looks like he's got half a piece of toast going into the bush over there mm-hmm. but you know you would know that squirrel you'd know what he was eating out of the neighbor's garden you'd recognize when the hawk finally nailed that that squirrel because he was so fat from eating bread that he couldn't say but I mean you start to watch things in a different way you know all your animal neighbors you understand the weather when you see that kind of cloud in the sky you know that there's going to be a storm or a front coming through in six hours and we don't we don't know that unless we go look at Intellicast now right but it's we're, our brains our systems are built to understand all of this stuff that's I think that in a way you know the evolution of the human brain was built around working through the maze of life they, they've done experiments where rats in a cage you know rats in a cage they live a certain length of time you let the rat out and put him into a maze every day he'll live longer right if you give him a new maze every day he'll leave, leave even longer because that the challenge of figuring things out learning new nurtures and propels nurtures and propels and so yes we're doing that now through the electronic interface that's provided for us but is that really enough? as you said it's very limited and, it, and it's, it's, it's the same it's regurgitated it's the same formula the same constructs over mm-hmm. and over again with a different style perhaps right because, and in a way it's a lowest it's developed in a way that's a lowest common denominator so for human understanding so that more people can can, can deal with it right whereas my my you know, my thesis or my theory is that we can deal with a lot more than that. Right. If we choose to unplug from it now and again and develop those other capacities. So the, the process of the human mind, processes, processes of the human mind are being stunted uh, and are being overtaken by the process of a man-made computer. Yeah. Yeah, our our essence of complexity is being funneled into this this abstract world, as opposed to the the real world. And it doesn't reflect the real world in its dynamism. No, I you know social media is great. You get to talk to a lot of people, but does it help you understand the human condition, or other people, human relationships, intercommunications? No, I don't, I don't think I don't, it does at this rate. So. No, but it's it's facilitating communication. It's a medium for communication, but I don't think it necessarily, the system itself informs us. Right. Whereas doing stuff in the real world, doing things with groups of people in reality, spending time in nature alone, alone can inform the human construct in a way that this stuff can't. Well, somebody might say, well, why would I want to do, do that? What would I get out of it? Well, that's the whole point. Is that if you do it, you can get past the mindset of why oh. should I do it? What would I get out of it? What's the immediate gratification? What's my immediate gratification? Because there, there might not be one. And should you give that up for something that does immediately gratify you? And, but does it really? And, I mean, how gratifying is it really to be able to pull, pull up your email and check it? Right. How many times a day can that be gratifying? It's not very deep, either. A deep sense of gratification. It's very. It's very surface. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a salve. Yeah, right. 
Free Speak Anthem with E.W. Conundrum and Almighty Todd in his monthly segment entitled Almighty Todd. In my backyard. We have a visitor here too, Kiad. I'm listening to all this. 12 year old wondering what the heck we're talking about. And the birds are chiming in in the background. I hope you hear them. So, uh, a couple final thoughts, Todd, before we end this installment of your segment. What are you, what are you thinking? We talked about birds, we talked about industry, corporate America, media, government, human understanding and evolution, or de-evolution, if, if you want, hmm. among other things. How do we wrap yeah, We definitely need to spiral around. Well, you know what? I'm going to go back to this because I was telling you about it last night because it made a big impression on me. I'm not, a hu- I'm not necessarily a big Werner Herzog fan, per se, but this piece of work he did with this movie about the Pont d'Arc Chauvet Cave, for me, really got me thinking a lot about the human condition, the, the, the core human condition. And we're so used to thinking about, oh, 150 years ago, people were, you know, backwards. 500 years ago, my God, they, you know, basically were barely wearing, they weren't taking baths. 1,000 years ago, huh, they could, they were, they could barely write. You know, or 2,000 years ago, there was, you know, civilization. What was it really? And then to go and see this documentary and to virtually... Here I'm glad to have had technology available to let me see something that I will never see in real life, but give me a glimpse into something very real, is to be taken into a cave where people, human beings, were showing an amazing depth of observational and observational genius and the skill to manifest a representation of that observation on the wall of a cave 32,000 years ago. And with such clarity and power, I mean, they weren't erasing things and going back. There was no cut, copy, paste. Oh, well, let's move that horse over here to look better over here. These people went in and did one drawing, and they did it right. What makes it right or so powerful, as you put it? I, it's like you almost you have got to see it. I mean, if anybody's seen pictures of Lascaux, you get which is a similar, which is a similar cave. Um, it's for me, it was just the, the the potency of the imagery, and that these human beings were able to be a medium between the outside world and deeply understand what it is you can see by the way to be able to draw a lion there's this one drawing of two lions walking side by side a male and a female and you can see the full body of the female because she's in the foreground and the male is behind her and all you can really see is the top of his head and the back line of his body going out to his tail but it's one charcoal stroke from the beginning of the head all the way to the end of the tail and it's such a sublime Line. I mean, there's no doubt that you're looking at a lion with one with one line. Mm. And I mean, like I told you last night, Picasso had seen Lascaux, and when he came out, he said, "We have we have learned nothing," <laughs> meaning that oh. we just meaning that we just uh, we we had it all. And maybe that's the Eden parable, too, is that we we did have it all. But then we 
had to take a bite of the apple. apple. Or we chose to change the way that we structured ourselves mm-hmm. and organized ourselves. And that, that was the beginning of the abstraction. And, you know, at the time, there was two, two paintings that they did radiocarbon dating on because they, they used to paint over one another's paintings or, like, kind of on top of one another's. Not to obliterate them, but to add to. Mm-hmm. And there was a 5,000-year difference between the first painting and the second painting in one case. And sure, you could look at that as, oh, well, see, progress. there was no progress. They were just stagnant. Everything was, you know, so 5,000 years later, they're living the same lifestyle. And, and that's, from us, coming from this perspective of, well, there's an iPhone, the, the, G, the iPhone, iPhone G5 is coming out next month. And that's, progress. I'll, that's progress. I'll get that, and then maybe I'll have the G6 within 18 months after that. Right. Um, and that our, the quality of life is defo- kind of uh, dependent on the, pace of progress but you know I was looking back at that thinking no they had an incredible stability in their world that we don't have right now and because they weren't dealing with a lot of abstract changes their attention was focused on the stability of reality now pace continues to increase the abstraction level continues to increase so our intellectual capacity is hooked into trying to keep pace with this this external reality and what do we truly learn at that pace yeah yeah are, are we really developing individually or are we being dragged along by this right you know is this feeding us or are we feeding it right so anyways I guess the final thoughts were is that you know as individuals, as human beings, we have an incredible capacity, each and every single one of us. It's just a matter of whether we choose to make accessing that and developing that a priority in our lives versus trying to find a way to acquire or interface with externalities. So, yeah, I don't even know if this one's right or one's wrong. I mean, that's the world we live in today. You have to be faced with these externalities, but I think that it behooves us to figure out how to balance that out with a, a, a development of an internal complexity to balance out that external complexity. Because then you can get to the choice where you say, well, you know what, I'm not going to deal with that external complexity today because I have to take care of the internal one. And so maybe that's, that comes back around to the plan's downtime. Saying, no, this is my time for my internal world, not the external world. All right. All right. Thank you so much, Todd. Very good. Almighty Todd, I'm free to speak and some. Let's get back to some music. And uh, you and I and Kiata, we'll, we'll watch the birds and the squirrels. Exactly. Ciao. Bye. Ciao.
Welcome back. It's good to have you out there listening to us here on Free Speak and some with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum. I have now for you something from the Utney Reader's blog called Wild Green. It's an article entitled, The Climate on the Farm is Changing, by Keith Goatsman, and it goes like this. Farmers are often among the first people to notice a shift in the climate. So while I rely on scientists for my big picture information about climate change, I also take seriously the cumulative daily and yearly field research of a trusted source, my local CSA or Community Supported Agriculture, Farmers. Michael Rayset and Patty Wright of Spring Hill Community Farm and Prairie Farm, Wisconsin to be exact. They are keen observers of wind, water, air, and soil, living so close to the land that they literally sink their hands into it every day. Farming has, of course, always been an uncertain business due to the naturally variable whims of weather, but lately it's more uncertain than ever. Some would even call it wildly unpredictable. Here's what's happening in the furrows, as reported by Patty in this season's Spring Hill Newsletters. July 19th. Sometimes rain is a lovely thing, sometimes it's not. Last Friday we had about a half an inch of rain. It made harvest not very pleasant or pretty, but we appreciated it, knowing we were in a for a blast of heat over the next week. Then there was Saturday morning, very early Saturday morning. We woke up to thunder and lightning and heavy, heavy rains. When we went out to take a look, there was over four inches of rain in the gauge. Our little stream had become something of a river and were unable to cross it. Our plan to pick peas with the members who were to arrive shortly was curtailed when we sank up to our ankles in mud. Plans to pick cilantro were changed to basil from the hoop house when we saw the flattened cilantro. It's been a big week here on July 26th, a week of crazy weather and a big week of garlic harvest. After that most amazing four-inch-plus rain, we were blasted with heat. We had hoped to finish the garlic harvest last Saturday, but just as people arrived to help with the harvest day, so did the rain. We got over an inch that morning, and then another inch and a quarter Saturday evening. Thankfully, we've managed to escape damaging winds and hail, and we all survived the brutal heat. I know there's crazy weather every year, but this year seems record-breaking on way too many fronts. August 9th. Rain, heat, mosquitoes. The working conditions of late have not been ideal. We've gotten well over 10 inches of rain over the last couple of weeks, and it's raining again as I write. The ground is saturated, making it impossible to get in and do some of the work we'd like to be doing. August 9th. We are starting to see some of the effects of extended hot weather along with all the rain. Last Tuesday, Mike and I went out to harvest the eggplant. We were able to pick about 75 to 80 nice eggplant, and that was it. There would be no eggplant for Saturday's delivery, and none in the foreseeable future. The plants have no more eggplant of any size. Peppers are equally puzzling. Some have a decent fruit set, others a couple of big ones and nothing else. Are Poblano peppers have no fruit. While it's true that peppers and eggplants both are heat-loving plants, they're rather particular about the temperature while they're blossoming, 
In fact, they'll drop their blossoms if the daytime temperatures are above 90 degrees and or if the nighttime temperatures are above 75 degrees. Beans, it turns out, are equally sensitive. Our first bean planting produced just fine. Our second planting, however, setting its blossoms during the heat spell, is not producing well at all. We're taking a week, maybe two, off of the beans. Hopefully, we'll have some after that. The bees, so important for pollination, also take a vacation when it gets hot. We've noticed the effects of that in our zucchini and cucumber patches. Potatoes, we've learned, go into a stage of dormancy when it gets too warm. August 30th. If this year is any indication, farming in this time of climate change is going to be challenging. While one certainly can't plan for unpredictability, we're trying to think about what we ought to be doing as extreme weather patterns become more common. Again, an article entitled The Climate on the Farm is Changing by Keith Goatsman. And basically, Mr. Goatsman shares the journal installments that were printed in the Spring Hill newsletters by Patty Wright of Spring Hill Community Farm. Let's get back to some music. Thanks for listening to us here on WFTE 105.7 and 90.3. Summer wind came blowing in from across the sea. It lingered there to touch your hair and walk with me. All summer long we sang a song and then we strolled. That golden sand Two sweethearts And the summer wind Like painted kites Those days and nights They went flying by The world was new Beneath the blue umbrella sky Then softer than a piper man One day it called to you I lost you I lost you to the summer wind Side. 
the summer wind The summer wind Warm summer wind The summer wind on Free Speak and some with yours sincerely, B.W. Conundrum. He submitted this to me to share with you. Start off with the note and then his findings. These are notes I've compiled while gathering first-hand empirical knowledge, field study analyzed and communicated for your intellectual consumption. Number one, fashion is a state of mind. Two individuals of similar build and physical attributes, both wearing a leather vest, black, and flashy stiletto-heeled pink pumps, can carry off this look in a completely opposite manner. 
one with a mustache handlebar not carrying so well for the hetero male but for the gay male it has a greater possibility of creating appeal also depending the lesbian thespian might also applaud such an exercise in fashion two fashion has no bounds if one wears layer upon layer of various stylish garments button-down shirt vest jacket pants cufflinks tie silk socks is this better in terms of a significant statement being made as compared to a bikini wearing or speedo sporting body I submit to you that I think it depends on the color and style coordination the season of the year and body type too taste I found is in the tongue of the taster I guess we don't know and this can be scientifically substantiated what we prefer until we taste an array of styles and motifs therefore Dr. D. Niente suggests you taste diligently and often and be sure to make notes when possible for the sake of adding to the understanding of your contemporaries as well as for future generations I respectfully submit, submit these notions of experiential devotion to you listeners of free speak and so there you have it Dr. Diniente on fashion here exclusively for you in the framework of episode 14 of free speak and some with yours sincerely EW conundrum thanks for listening to us here on 105.7 and 90.3 WFTE community radio let's get back to some music it's easy enough to be wise measure these things by your brains sinking to
entitled Shadows via the September 19th edition of the New Yorker magazine. And it goes like this. Cobwebs wound round the empty swallows' nests, the morning's redness taken by their wings. The blackened lamp whispers and attests to darkness falling and to brightenings. The buyer at morning Darkness rich with gleam, a glint of head brass, cribs, some wood beyond, shadows and lights cleave to the cattle team. They are like calves, their bodies dunned and blonde. Beneath black eaves, they lie down in the straw, 
and they huddle even closer with their mates to the sound of milk its froth and bubbles draw the ginger cat who licks her fur and waits darkness a lamp in it the pillars start to fade and shadow edges almost glisten mortal eyes can hardly tell apart what is the earth and what already isn't a poem entitled shadows by Boslav Renik here on Free Speak Anselm with yours sincerely E.W. Conundrum thanks for listening
again, this is Paramore, and we're gonna play uh, Pressure for you. I uh, hope you like it.
Well, that just about does it for episode 14 here on Free Speak and Some with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum. I hope you enjoyed the program. And uh, we'll be back next Sunday with a new one. This week we featured our monthly installment entitled Almighty Todd. Next Sunday, Cab Fare we'll have for you. This 90 minutes or so also shared with you a poem called Shadows, Dr. Diniente on fashion. Also, the uh, Utney blog discussing climate change through the eyes of farmers and their journals. Thank you, Patty. And thank you, family, for putting up with me locking myself in the basement for the last six hours while I recorded this so you can hear it today. Until next time, have a wonderful week. Embrace all that's around you and, uh, you know, do your best. Thanks for listening. Thank mm-hmm. you.